Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. All right, this morning we have a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. The story of God and God's people. Our pastor Jordan is taking a time of respite from now through the end of December, just to take a time to rest and refill. And so today we have John Ott here with us. Come on up, John. And John is going to be... John is going to be speaking this morning. John's family has been around the parish for a long, long time. Long time. Long time. And they are such a blessing to us. He has also been a teacher of our middle school students for several years now, currently teaching our 7th and 8th grade class. And John is full of wisdom. And one of my favorite things about John is that he asks really good questions. Uh, so thank we're really you. glad to have you, thank you here with us today. Thank you, thank you Sarah. Thank you so much. And thank you, Jordan, for the opportunity uh, to teach today. The Bible is full of stories. The stories are instructive, they're astounding, they're confusing, and they're mysterious. And over the past couple of months, Jordan has been teaching us, not through individual stories, but he's taken a step back and said, let's take a look at the big story of God. What's the whole story about? And if you wonder why is it important that we understand the big story, I want you to listen to this quote from the Austrian philosopher uh, Ivan Illich. Check this out. When he was asked about how to change a society, listen to what he said. Neither Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole, one that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. Ivan did not invent this idea. God is the God of stories. He operates through stories. His story is amazing. And he wants us to know his story because it has the power to revolutionize our lives and truly the world. How do we know what the big story is then? Well, Jordan brought us a foundational statement for this series uh, from a pastor named Rob Bell. And Rob says it this way. Where and how you begin the story 
and where and how you end the story shape and determine what story you're telling. And so where does the story of Scripture begin? Jordan shared with us this map of the entirety of Scripture. It's a map of Scripture that tells the big story in five acts. We'll go ahead and put that on the screen. I think it may have come from N.T. Wright. I don't know if it did, but you can't go wrong when you attribute something to N.T. Wright. So you know, you'll notice that the big story does not begin with our sin. This is a place where a lot of us in, uh, in our Christian journey uh, are often told or re- represented that that's where the story begins is with our sin, but that's not where the story begins. It begins with a powerful, loving God who creates everything just the way he wants it and he pronounces it good, 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 very good. That's where it begins. Sin does enter the picture, but that's not where it begins. The rest of this story is about a purposeful, loving God pursuing his creation to rescue it, redeem it, and recreate it. The story doesn't begin in Genesis 3 where the sin is. The big story does tell us that there is darkness in the world and in us, but it also tells us that there is a risen king who has overcome and is overcoming the darkness. The story ends with a completed, recreated world where there is no darkness, there is no death, there is no weeping, there is no suffering at all. The big story promises you and me that if it's still dark, it's not over. This is good news. The big story begins in Genesis 1 and 2. That's where the creation starts. That's where God pronounces everything very good. Sin enters the picture in Genesis 3. And so there's fundamentally two ways of orienting to life. One is from the Genesis 1 and 2 perspective. One is from the Genesis 3 perspective. There's truth in both perspectives. There's things that are helpful in both perspectives. But it's important for us to remember where the story actually begins. The big story tells us what is going on in this life. It tells us what the story is that we find ourselves a part of when we were born into this life, and it tells us where everything is going, but it doesn't tell us how to walk out our little stories. If you came in here today with blood in your veins, you probably also came in with a weight on your shoulders, some pain in your heart, some questions on your mind. If you're anything like me, You're facing some sort of dilemma, and you're not quite sure exactly what the next step is. There's grief, there's pain, there's loss, there's sadness, there's disorientation, there's fear and anxiety and stress and depression and overwhelm and grief, just to name a few. And it's some form of question that we're all carrying is, God, what do I do with this? How do I walk out this big story in my little story? And what I'd like to offer you today is this, that when you look at the big story from a different angle, there's a pattern that emerges. It's a pattern that shows up in almost every little story in the Bible from the very beginning through the very end. And it's so prevalent that once you see it, you might wonder how you ever missed it. And that pattern offers you and me the perfect next step from wherever you are to wherever God might have you go next. And that's a big statement, but I believe it's true. 
I'd like to point out to you one pattern. It's not the pattern I'm, that we're going to focus in on, but I'd like to point out to you one pattern that I learned when I was a Bible major in college. And again, it's true, and there's truth in it. So let's check it out. Here's the pattern. It shows up over and over and over and over in Scripture. And the pattern is this, that there's rebellion, and then there's regret, and then there's repentance, and then there's restoration. Hang out with that for just a second. Does that ring true for you? You rebel, eventually you regret it, you repent, and then God restores you. Well, you see this pattern throughout Scripture. It shows up in Adam and Eve, and then their kids embody that pattern, and then Israel embodies it, and the disciples embody it, and the church embodies it, and so do we. Now, what do we rebel against? We rebel against the commands of God. And my goodness, the Bible is full of commands. You probably know this, that there's over 600 commands in the Old Testament. And we say, yeah, 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 but we're people who live under grace, not under law. Well, by some accounting, there's over a thousand commands in the New Testament. And they carry a tremendous amount of weight. There's a ton that's at stake. Think about this passage we read this morning in Deuteronomy 30, where it said, I put before you today life and death. Which one will you choose? And Jesus says in Matthew 7, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. So it's no small thing. This obedience thing is not a small deal. Uh, Father Richard Rohr says that we are not punished for our sins. We're punished by them. So this thing about obedience is a really big deal. The, this pattern, though, this is more like a Genesis 3 pattern. And it says to us, if there's trouble in your life, it's because you rebelled. You need to repent of something, and then you'll be restored. So again, there's truth in that. But it's not the Genesis 1 pattern. There's something for us to learn here from this pattern, but it's not the Genesis 1 and 2 pattern. Is there a Genesis 1 and 2 pattern? I think there is. And I first started to see this Genesis 2, uh, 1 and 2 pattern in the book of Deuteronomy, of all places. You been in Deuteronomy in a while? You know, I think, I think a lot of people don't make it to Deuteronomy because it's, it's the fifth book of the Hebrew Scriptures, fifth book of the Torah. And I think a lot of people don't get there because a lot of New Year's resolutions have died <laughs> in Leviticus and in Numbers. It's like, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. And Genesis and Exodus are pretty cool, pretty page-turners, you know? And you get to Leviticus and Numbers, and it comes to a grinding halt, and you're like, well, I guess God loves me anyway. I hope he does. <laughs> and we don't ever make it to Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy... If you haven't read it in a while, I invite you to do it. This would be a great week to read the book of Deuteronomy. You're like, the whole book? Yes. I think once you start to lean into it and you look for the love of God, it's behind every bush and every rock in the story of Deuteronomy. So I'm not going to tell you what this pattern is quite yet. I want to see if you can spot it for yourself. So I'm going to read to you a passage out of Deuteronomy in just a minute. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of context about who the people were that first heard this and what the situation was that they first heard it in. Jordan gave us a beautiful setup last week about the Exodus and about the wandering in the wilderness. And so I want to remind you that the book of Deuteronomy uh, takes place on the plains just outside the promised land. This is a group of people who've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they're standing in the lobby just outside the promised land waiting to go in. 
Have you ever waited to go into something good? Have you ever waited to move into a house that you wanted to be in? Or have you ever waited to go on a vacation that you're really looking forward to? You wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and the day finally shows up. That's where they are. They're right there. And Moses is reminding them of their story and of God's faithfulness. Not only had they been wandering for 40 years, but before that, their moms and their dads and their granddads and their great, great, great grandparents for 400 years lived in Egyptian captivity. They were forced into hard labor. They were slaves. That's not a good life. It was 300 years before that that God first made a promise to Abraham that he was going to make his name great, he was going to make a nation from Abraham, and he was going to give them a promised land. This is a promise that's 700 years in the keeping. And the people are gathered outside on the plains, and Moses is telling them their story. The, The word Deuteronomy actually means second law. It's the second time that Moses is telling the story to the nation of Israel. And so as we read Deuteronomy chapter four here in just a minute, I want you to listen out for two things. First of all, you're gonna notice that obedience shows up somewhere in this passage. I want you to listen out for it. Some of our, my middle school friends are here today, and, and Eliana, if you would help me, like if you hear the word obediently, I want you to put your hand up. Could you do that? Ev, I won't ask you to do that. But any of you can play along. If you hear the word obediently, put your hand up. Obedience enters the equation at some point, but it's not the first thing that shows up. The other thing that I want to invite you to do as we begin to read this passage is I want to invite you to listen to this passage with your imagination and with your heart, and I want you to notice what is evoked in you as you listen to these words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. So here we go. If it supports you to close your eyes, you're welcome to do that. Imagine standing there on the plains just outside the promised land and listen to these words of Moses. Ask questions. Find out what has been going on all these years before you were born. From the day God created man and woman on this earth and from the horizon in the east to the horizon in the west, as far back as you can imagine and as far away as you can imagine, Has as great a thing as this ever happened? Has anyone ever heard of such a thing? Has a people ever heard as you did a God speaking out of the middle of the fire and lived to tell the story? Or has a God ever tried to select for himself a nation from within a nation using trials, miracles, and war, putting his strong hand in reaching his long arm out, a spectacle awesome and staggering the way your God did for you in Egypt while you stood right there and watched. You were shown all of this so that you would know that God is, well, God. He's the only God there is. He's it. He made it possible for you to hear his voice out of heaven to discipline you. Down on earth, he showed you the big fire. And again, you heard his words, this time out of the fire. He loved your ancestors and he chose to work with their children. He personally and powerfully brought you out of Egypt in order to displace bigger and stronger and older nations with you. Bringing you out 
and turning their land over to you as an inheritance. And now it's happening. This very day. What are you feeling? What are you feeling on the inside as you listen to these words? Anybody willing to venture to share? What do you feel? Excitement? Would you say you generally feel good or not good? Good. Part of something bigger. It's not so, what were you going to say? What was that? Thankful, thankful, thankful. Safe? Safe. Whatever feeling it is that you have on the inside, it's not so important that we be able to put words on it, but that you template what that feeling is. Hold on to that, because we're going to come back to it. How about the word obediently? Eliana, have we heard obediently yet? No, haven't heard it yet. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's keep going. Verse 39, know this well then. Take it to heart right now. God is in heaven above. God is on earth below. He's the only God there is. Obediently? Yeah, we got it. There it is. There it is. Obediently live by his rules and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that you'll live well and your children after you. Oh, you'll live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. There is no doubt, there's no doubt that obedience is part of the pattern. But before Moses ever tells them to obey, what does he do? What does he do? Reminds them of who God is and who they are. After he tells them to obey, it's right here on the screen, open book test. After he tells them to obey, what does he promise what does he promise is going to happen if they obey? They're going to live a long time in the land. It's going to go well for them. So check out our new pattern. Check out our new pattern. Remember the faithfulness of God. Obey what he asks you to do. You got it. And he promises abundance will follow from that. Remembrance is where it begins. We're really, really close to the pattern. We're missing one little piece. Remember how you felt on the backside of listening to us remembering the faithfulness of God? You remember how you felt? There's a word for that. It's a word that shows up all throughout Scripture over and over and over and over. We'll talk just a touch more about that in a moment. But rather than us put the word on it, we're going to let God himself actually put the word on it. Because God puts the word on it in the next chapter of Deuteronomy. It's chapter 5. Let me give you just a little bit of context before I read you this passage. Okay, so again, Moses is telling the, the, the people of Israel their own story. And at the beginning of chapter 5, Moses does another rundown on the Ten Commandments. He's reminding them of where the Ten Commandments came from. And what Moses tells them is, hey, remember, I went up on a mountain. God came down on the mountain in the form of a dark cloud and then the mountain catches on fire, and then God delivers the Ten Commandments in a loud voice to all of Israel 
and tells them what he wants them to do. Understandably, the people are terrified. And they say to Moses, okay, we now know that somebody can hear from the living God and not die. That's kind of amazing. But we don't want to do that again. Moses, how about from now on, you go talk to God. You find out what he wants, and then you come back and tell us, and we'll do whatever you say. Listen to what God says to that. God heard what you said to me and told me. I've heard what the people said to you. They're right, good and true words. Listen to God's heart for you and me. What I wouldn't give if they'd always feel this way. Continuing to revere me and always keep my commands. Why? They'd have a good life forever. They and their children. God gives us the word revere. I think, I think what you and I felt on the inside as we read Deuteronomy chapter 4 is something like reverence. It's that peace, it's that safety, it's that excitement. It's that feeling that you're a part of something bigger. I think this is the Genesis 1 and 2 pattern. Remember, revere, obey, abound. God wants us to revere him, to fear him. Anybody else here struggled with that idea when you read verses that talk about blessed is the person who fears the Lord? For me, historically, it's been very difficult to reconcile the idea of fearing God and knowing God as a loving father. Like those two concepts for me have never, that's one of those mysterious, confusing things about scripture. But reverence, wonder, awe, safety, that does start to make sense to me. I can see those things starting to line up. In my experience, maybe yours too, fear stirs me up. Reverence settles me down. So check this out. Do you remember the etymology of the word obey? I'm kind of a word nerd. I like these things. The word obey comes from the Latin word obedire. I'm not sure if I've said that right. Do you know what obedire means? To listen intently. That's all that obey means, is to listen intently. So when we are, remember the faithfulness of God, it evokes in us reverence, wonder, awe, settles us down, opens our ears. And in that place of quiet, what naturally comes out of us is, go ahead, Father, I'm listening. What would you have me to do? I know you've promised goodness in front of me, so I'll do it, whatever it is that you have to say. Let me tie this together uh, with a little story. So in February of 2016, uh, I was standing on the threshold of a place where I was really fearful. Uh, there was a place of unknown. I wasn't sure what to do. Uh, what had happened is there was a series of events that had unfolded. And I called my wife and told her, told her about these events. And she said, well, it's clear to me what needs to happen. And I was like, well, what is that? She said, it's time for you to go out on your own. And that's something that she and I talked about for a number of years. And every time I brought it up, she was like, I don't think you're quite ready yet. And I was like, mm. 
And then eventually, so this time when I call her and I tell her about this thing, and I'm totally stumped, and she says, it's time for you to go out on your own. I'm like, well, hang on now. I'm not ready. I was really afraid, and a lot of my fears were things about, like, I don't know that I have what it takes to do this. And one of my fears, and I don't really understand where this comes from, but one of my fears has always been, is God going to provide enough money for us to be able to eat and live indoors and not foreclose on our house? I don't know why that's one of my fears, but it's always been there. And so that was staring me right in the face as well. And I certainly didn't know what the next step was. And in her wisdom, she said, how about this? Why don't we get away for the weekend? Let's go to a cabin in North Georgia. And I freaked out because I'm like, well, that's just more money we're going to (laughs) spend. But she's wise and loving. And she said, let's go get away to a cabin up in North Georgia. And, And she said, I've got an idea for us. Now, a lot of the weekend we hung out and we enjoyed being together and rested and took it easy and sat next to the fire. But it was on Saturday night of that weekend away. She said, I want to lead us through a time. I said, okay. And Shannon had brought a a bag of river rock. And she said, I want us to remember together. I want us to remember together God's faithfulness to us. She read some passages and she said, let's take turns. Let's pull a rock out of the bag. And with each rock, let's name one thing. One way that God has been faithful to us. So we did. We pulled rocks out. I don't know how long we sat there. But Sienna, would you put the picture up on the screen? This is the coffee table. This is the coffee table. We remembered over and over and over, all that he had already done, all the ways that he loved us, all the ways that he had been faithful. And I'm going to tell you, what are we, six, almost seven years later? I don't know what he commanded, what, his, what obedience looked like is the next step, but I can tell you, after we remembered his faithfulness together, a next step opened up. And it was a little step. It was a little step that I could take. And so I took it. And then he opened up another little step, and I took it. And every time I would get afraid, wouldn't beat my, well, I would beat myself up a little bit, to be honest. But then I'd remember, remember the faithfulness of God. Remember all the ways that he's gone before me. Okay, God, what's next? And he t- we take the next step. Y'all, this pattern is throughout all of Scripture. You can test me on this. Let me give you one example. Did you know that every single letter from the Apostle Paul. The first half of every letter is him saying, this is who you are in Christ. Before he ever gets to, this is how you live out the Christian life, he reminds us of who we are in Christ. And what happens when we remember who we are in Christ? We settle down. We remember the goodness of God. We hear the words of Jesus. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So not only has God given us this, not only he tucked this little pattern into the book of Deuteronomy and then planted all over Scripture, he knows that we need help and support and remembering. And in his graciousness, one of the ways that he's made it possible for us to remember is he, he sets up celebrations and parties and feasts. Passover was a feast, a feast. 
that was designed to help the people of Israel remember that time when God reached in and saved them from captivity. And how poetic is it that it was in the middle of celebrating Passover that Jesus says, I'm leading each and every one of you out of captivity. I'm going to let my own body be broken and my own blood be poured out as a sign for you of who God is and who you are. And I remember in the church I grew up in, we had a communion table. It looked a little different than this one. And it said on the front, this do in of me. Not me, Jesus. <laughs> I thought the syntax was funny on that. Like, why did they say it that way? But the idea was every single week, as you taste this, remember me. Remember that when I speak to you and I ask you to do something, it's me that's talking. And what I'm asking you to do, I'm not making you miserable here. I'm setting you free. I want to introduce you to more life than you could possibly imagine. So my invitation to you this week is as we receive this meal, as we head into Thanksgiving week, what a perfect week, that with whatever it is that you're carrying, that you would allow God to help you take one step back and remember his faithfulness first. And that when you have settled down in reverence for him, that you would notice that your ears are now open to hear his voice. And he will guide you in whatever the next step is because he is 